0: Here we are, we gather here, frail and unsure we will sing your praise. Well this story today is wild, isn't it? Demons and pigs, anger, fear, it's bananas. Anyone who says the Bible's boring has missed this story. But before we kind of dig into it. I want to make a few notes for your consideration. The first is that we are back in Luke's Gospel. We have not been in Luke's Gospel for a few months, actually since before Easter. So, just as a quick refresher, Luke's Gospel has a theme, sort of a lens that it that Luke wrote through, and his lens or his theme he made very clear in the fourth chapter. We talked about this a long time ago in the season, but I will read it again. When Jesus gets up in his home congregation and he reads from Isaiah, in the fourth chapter he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to re- proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls up the scroll. Do you remember this story? And he says, yeah, I'm that guy. I'm the guy Isaiah was talking about. And everybody gets mad and they send him out of town. So Luke's theme, not unclear. He talks about freedom most often. And the verses immediately before the story we have in front of us today to kind of set the scene, Jesus has just been on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples and a storm comes up and he calms the storm and the disciples ask themselves, who is this that even the wind and seas would obey him? And then they continue on their journey and they land on the shores of the Gerasenes which is where we enter today. They arrived at the county of the country of the Gerasenes which is opposite Galilee. This is a detail that matters, opposite Galilee. Because the location of this story today is very important. Now sometimes I find it helpful to have visuals, so I pulled some maps for you. So here we go. If I can see them, okay. Um, there you kind of get a modern day. This is where we're looking at. So you can see uh, the Sinai Peninsula, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, the West Bank, uh, Golan Heights, all that. So right where it says Heights for the Golan Heights, that is the Sea of Galilee in that little blob up there. So we're going to zoom in. Next one. yes. Yeah, so there's Israel. So you can see near the top of Israel there is the... Sea of Galilee. Everybody kind of see that? I know our screens are kind of small. And then the next one. So then there is the Dead Sea and then up the Jordan River to the Sea of Galilee. Everybody sees that. And right on the bank across from Capernaum, sort of down and across, is the Does Everybody see that? And there we go. So Capernaum in the top corner and then you can see down across can't really see that right. Yeah, you see Garrash. It says a Gergesa on there. Good. Gergesa is the city in the Garrasines across the Sea of Galilee. So you kinda we went out big so you could kinda see where we are and we zoomed on into the Sea of Galilee. Now, I know visuals are interesting, yes, but the main point here is that Jesus and his disciples are just well outside of Jewish territory. The fact that there are pigs in this story tells us where we are. We are not in Jewish territory. We are in Gentile land. And as they step out of their boat onto the shore, they are met by a man who we are told is demon-possessed. He is not okay. He is so not okay that he lives among the dead, a kind of desperate, horrible life on the outside of town where the people have chained him up for his, and let's be real, their own safety. Jesus asks the man his name and he answers, legion. Luke's Gospel is not prone to hyperbole or wordplay as some of the other Gospels are, or as often as some of the other Gospels are. But in this case, Luke does not hold back. The name Legion is meant to invoke a response to the hearer of this story. Now we hear this word Legion, and we immediately just think, oh, it means a lot, a lot of people, a lot of demons, a lot of something, right? Legion. But to those listening in that time... Legion was what they called the Roman army. It meant a battalion of 5,600 soldiers. It was a name that evoked a response. And maybe Luke is getting across that this guy is possessed by 5,600 demons. That's a point many readers of this text would make. But Luke's gospel is focused on freedom. And at this time, the Roman army, the legion, was an occupying force on the Jewish people. And so maybe, instead of thinking we've stepped into some sort of horror movie scenario today, complete with 5,600 demons, we could maybe take a step in another direction. Luke says, the one who is doing the occupying is undefeatable, an impossibly large army. This man that they encounter is as possessed, as occupied, as enslaved, as unfree as one could be. That's who they bump into on the shore. The least free man in outsider territory. So what does Jesus do? I mean, obviously, he heals him, right? We all know this is going to happen. Jesus tells the demons to leave the man and they beg him to not send them into the abyss. I'm assuming that's where they came from, so that's neither here nor there, but they say don't send us into the abyss and he tells them to go into some pigs who in a moment of what can only be called extreme irony, the pigs run right off a cliff into the sea and drown. Those of you who've been attending Wednesdays know the sea was known as an abyss. Irony, different abyss, same result. Like I said, the story is wild. It's wild. Now I preach today knowing that this topic of demon possession is not a topic most of us are comfortable with. I would say most preachers are not also 100% sure about what to say about this guy. Some, maybe even most of us, have heard demon possession in the Bible equated to mental illness. And so a story like this to someone experiencing mental illness can have this shaming, blaming effect when it's heard on a Sunday morning and then nothing else is said about it from the pulpit. So that's not going to happen today. But since there are people much smarter than me in the world, uh, I am taking a section that Caroline Lewis, a preaching professor at Luther Seminary, wrote about this very thing. She said, we all know where mental illness stands these days. It's misunderstood. It's made responsible for all sorts of incidents by persons, leaders of nations, without empathy or understanding. It is judged, stigmatized, best to hide it than to risk any additional chains that might brand you as unfit, that cause you to question whether or not relationships are even possible, that make you wonder if you, who you are will ever be recognized again. If you or someone you love is one of those diagnosed with an out of control kind of disease, like we like to categorize mental illness, well, living in the tombs becomes then a way of life. Even a needed way of life. Sometimes you feel like you are dead. At the very worst, you'd rather be dead. You can actually imagine that the world would be a better place without you, and you eventually give in to the demons that have convinced you of this truth. We all know someone for whom this has become true. I told Katie before I got up here, I'm feeling weepy already and I haven't even started yet. We'll get it, we'll get it. We've gotten close, most of us, in this scenario, right? Too close. Perhaps a little better but not much in this scenario is finding the wherewithal to endure the endless questions, the ongoing derision, the unceasing sense that somehow your mental illness is not worthy of the kind of empathy as other kinds of ailments. You get weary of the daily advice to just have a positive attitude or take a walk. You question just with whom you could share your dark secret. Who can you trust, really? Those in whom you thought you could believe could not handle it, maybe because of their own fear. And so sometimes it is easier to live in the tombs, separated, disassociated from community, convinced that love cannot possibly be yours rather than risk loving once again. So often when Pastor Chad or I preach, we say many times from the pulpit, we have said details matter. And they do. They really do matter. But sometimes on days like today, the details can distract us. People, me included, get distracted by the pigs dying. That's sad. That's sad. Pigs are adorable, right? Or we get distracted by the helplessness of these swine herders losing all of their income in one fell swoop as a herd dives off of a cliff. Or we get distracted by the fact that this guy is named after an army or we hear demons and we think of some horror movie we've watched 10 years ago or last year. We get distracted But the main point here today is not the pigs or the herders or even the location. The details help us understand the story, but they are not the story. Because Luke's gospel is about what? Freedom. This story is all about the freedom given to the least free man. It is about Jesus being able to control the uncontrollable. And that is a bigger truth than demon possession. There are many forces today that feel uncontrollable. Whoa, nelly. Right? Yes, mental illness is where people go when they hear the story. But what about the many other ones? What about trauma? What about the occupying power of a painful memory? What about the enslavement of systemic, racial, and economic justice? What about the absolute possession of addiction? What about the helplessness of a terminal diagnosis or physical illness? That's why we got these under here. What about the uncontrollable feelings of grief and loss that pop up without warning when you least expect it? Uncontrollable. See, this story is bigger than one thing that we put aside over here. Demon possession goes over here in a neat little box of horror movies and science fiction. This story on the shores of the Sea of Galilee is about power and freedom. The power of God to control the uncontrollable, to heal the unhealable, and to free the least free parts of all of us. Now that is good news. So then what? How do we respond? Besides crying, obviously. How do we respond when this type of healing takes place? In verse 35, people came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and they found the man with the demons from whom the demons had gone, sitting at Jesus' feet, fully dressed, completely sane. And then everyone gathered from the region of the Gerasenes, asked Jesus to leave their area because they were overcome with fear. The people in the area of Gerasene see the man all healed and in his right mind and sitting with Jesus, and they're like, yeah, we'd like you to Go. See, they're afraid of what happens when Jesus comes and starts setting people free. I think we like to think we would respond differently in this scenario. We, we like to think we would rejoice. We'd probably celebrate this man's healing and miraculous recovery. Well, that's not quite true. The only one rejoicing in today's story is the man who we know as Legion. Today's gospel is good news when we are the possessed one. It is good news when we are the one who is enslaved and captured. It is the best news then. But so often we read this story and we aren't the freedman. We are the townspeople. We are distracted. We lament the loss of the pigs and the disruption to our income. We fear the new reality in front of us, and we long for the way things used to be, even to our own detriment. We don't want to see someone as healed. We'd rather see them the way we know, right? In the weird guy who we chained down out at the tombs. We don't want to see someone as human instead of a product of a society who has kept them right where they are without hope or upward mobility. We don't want to change our communities and way of life to include someone who we had firmly put on the outside. And when we see that outsider sitting comfortably with Jesus, well, we cannot have that. So we ask Jesus to leave. Can you just let it be, Jesus? Can you just go home? I like my life the way it is. Thank you very much. Freedom is dangerous. It makes a claim on us that we would rather not face. It asks us to make changes that we would rather not make and accommodate people we'd rather leave where we left them. But that is where Jesus is. On the outside way outside of the appropriate territory, way outside the walls of the temple. He's at pride. He's at the border. He's in a detention center. He's on the outside, doing what he always does, setting the prisoners free, proclaiming release to the captive, saying good news to the poor. At the very end of today's gospel, we find this healed man asking Jesus to let him come along. Please take me with you. Back across the lake to Capernaum. And Jesus says no, which at first doesn't seem to make sense and feels just a little mean, right? It is a huge moment. Jesus tells this man, stay. Stay where you are from. Stay in your home and keep telling them what God has done for you. See, if he had gone along with Jesus, if he had gotten in that boat and sailed across the sea to Capernaum, that would be it. He's gone. Those townspeople could just pretend, you know what, that never happened We can change the story to make people less uncomfortable or less afraid. But they can't do that if he's still there. Not if he's walking around town reminding them over and over again of just what God can do. And that's scary. You bet that shakes people up. And that's the point of this gospel story. All the way over there in Gentile country, Jesus leaves behind a preacher to share the story of how Jesus has power, not over just the chosen people, but of everyone. To share the story of how Jesus loves not just a particular group of people, but everyone. To share the story of a God who controls the uncontrollable all in the name of setting us free. See, the good news is that you have been set free, and so has the person next to you. Also that person you don't like very much. Also that person you've excluded or have assumed is on the outside of God's grace. We have all been set free. And to us, all of us, but in this room in particular on this day, Jesus says, You are free. Now go and declare how much God has done for you. We yeah. are